countdown to the last comic shop in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Hey, hey, welcome back to more of the last comic shop. That's right, we are opening the shop up to newbies to help them find their way underneath this giant comic book tent. Although this week, we're not really opening the shop for newbies as much as we're opening the shop for comic creators. Whoa! Or actually, we kind of closed the shop and, and we went to a comic con. So so <laughs> if you went to the shop this week, just ignore our sister there working the counter who doesn't know anything. She's just helping out. <laughs> We try to educate everybody on comic books. We give her things to read, and she just says, no, I refuse. If it's not Archie, I'm not reading it. <laughs> like, okay, you love Jughead. What can I say? Some people do. I'm the host of The Most, Andy Larson. I'm joined by Chad Smith and J.A. Scott. And as Chad pointed out, and J.A. followed through with, we do have some interviews with comic book creators on today's program. Yes, I finally got through all of that wonderful footage. Not footage. What would they call that? Tape. Tape. Metaphorical tape? Metaphysical tape? Scotch tape. Duct tape. Even quacks. But the stuff that we got from Baltimore Comic Con that Chad and I uh, spent a lot of time working at just a couple weekends ago. And so finally on today's show, let's get some of those interviews that we cut with those terrific comic book creators out to our public so that we can get press passes in future. (laughs) That's right. Make no mistake. We do this podcast for the love and for free press passes and comic books. That's right. So it's our time to pull our weight to be the Clark Kent in the lowest lane of your comic book universe and bring you the news straight from, I guess, the creator's mouth. And by the way, thank you to Baltimore Comic Con for sponsoring us to go and collect all these interviews. Baltimore Comic Con. It was really, really a great show. If you have an opportunity to make it to uh, Baltimore Comic Con next year, highly, highly recommend it. So, J.A., which uh, creator would you like to hear first? How about Russ Braun? Oh, yes. Our good friend Russ. Been a couple From the boys and Batman and where monsters dwell. Right. Uh, Jimmy's Bastards. Lots of great stuff. Russ Braun has drawn over the years, and uh, he's a really, really great friend of ours, and we had an opportunity to talk with him at Baltimore Comic Con, so let's hear what Russ had to say. Hey, we are here at Baltimore Comic Con with one of my favorite people that does comics, and that is Russ Braun. Russ and I met for the first time several years ago back at Three Rivers Con in Pittsburgh. That's right. And I I don't know... it's Christmas card, <laughs> and so I, I'd like to think that we're, we're good pals. And but uh, we wanted to make sure that all those last comic yes. shop fans out there knew what a great guy he was and well, what a great you. talent he is. And so the first question I've got you, and again, it's my slow pitch across the plate. Oh, okay. Which is, do you remember what the first comic book you ever got, Russ, was, or the one that made the uh, most impact of you from your yeah, youth? I do actually. The, the very first one I got. Um, I was a Spider-Man fan from the TV show, from okay. the, the cartoon. But the first one I bought off the spinner rack when I was five in a, uh, a Queens drugstore. Okay. Where we were going for like a soda fountain ice cream. Because right. I'm old. 
Um, did you have a chocolate egg cream? No, I didn't. I didn't. But I, I think I just had a, a root beer float. Okay. I think. But of all things, for a kid I, I to have. I found out that time. that doesn't have but chocolate nor egg in it. Well, it's chocolate, no, but it doesn't egg, have egg. Egg creams don't have eggs. That's true. <laughs> but um, I had. It was issue. Uh, I think ninety-five or ninety-six of Iron Man. Okay. And Iron Man is fighting a Blizzard. I think. It all was. right. I'm thinking of if it's not that one, it was the other one where Happy Hogan turned into the freak. His friend uh, was like radioactive, kind of like a Hulk guy, bald uh, with like his. Yeah, no, I know what you're talking. But about. I'm pretty sure it's the one I'm thinking of with the uh, Blizzard on the cover and, and uh, the ice is shooting up out of the. You know, it's just it's this amazing cover and just like it just sunk me right away into. into Do you remember comics. who drew it at all? Or I'm not, I think that cover might have been John Romita. Okay. But I'm not positive. I know that Herb Trimp did the uh, inside of the Happy Hogan one. Okay. But uh, and I'm pretty sure Sal Bashema did the inside of the Iron Man one. Don't don't hold me to this. That's okay. You know? Hey, so, you know what? Uh, uh, we will not hold you to that, sir. But that's kind of cool. That was the are... one I picked out myself. The first one I ever had was a Spider-Man. Okay. Um, I think 136 something around there. All right. It was a uh, Harry Osborn takes over as Green Goblin, ah. and they're kind of duking it out. My, issue, I so. think the I think 137 is one of my favorite issues. It's the one where Spider-Man's swinging through a window, and he's got Mary Jane and. And May Parker, and they're on like two class two. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And he's like at the bottom of the screen. He's like, ah, and it's a. I guess Ross Andrew. I'm pretty sure that's. Yeah, Ross. mine was the one before it, where uh, I think there's Peter Parker and Harry Osborn are facing off, and then in the background, yes. there's Spider-Man and yeah. are exploding. That's an iconic and that's, cover. That's a Vermita for sure, right? For sure, but right. but it was Ross Andrew inside, right? Sure, Absolutely. Yeah. So so that was one of the first comics you ever got. What was the yeah. like? When you decided you were a comic book fan, do you remember right. like what was like the first comic book you started following? Like that you, was like, it. I, yeah, it was, that it. was Spider-Man. It was Spider-Man. Was, yes, just... That was it. It was kind of like, oh my god, they have books of these. You know, <laughs> um, I thought it was just a TV show. You know, cartoons right. started with cartoons, went right to comic books. Okay, so, but I was always drawing. So. Right. So we're, you, you, here you're drawing, and I think you've told the story about. Uh, how did you get like you were 18 and somebody uh-huh. passed your stuff to somebody else and oh. tell the story <laughs> oh so uh i was i was trying to get into uh, an art college okay uh, school of visual arts in manhattan is the one i wanted to go to i didn't have any professional training i had art class right in a catholic high school yeah you know so my my uh art teacher was sister janet you know so uh <laughs> And the highest form of art in her class was like if you could copy something realistically, like a still life. Okay. You know? And I mean, hey, that's a valuable tool to have. It is. It is. All I cared about was making stuff up out of my head. So uh, she didn't really care for my work. All you know? right. But uh, but her brother-in-law was actually uh, the president of the School of Visual Arts. Okay. So she agreed with me going there. She just didn't really help a whole lot preparing me for it. Okay. So. My younger brother was in school uh, up in Westchester. Okay. With one of his classmates was the daughter of Joe Orlando. Joe Orlando was uh, the vice president of DC at the time. Okay. You know, old-time great comic artist, Mad Magazine back, and he and Wally Wood uh, were like a you know a tag team art team. You know, right. They just do everything together. So well, I think a lot of stuff that gets just straight Wally Wood cred has a lot to do with Joe. Okay. And vice versa. So, but uh, but his name is, is much lesser known than Wally Wood. But, uh, so I'm always a good proponent of Joe Orlando because All right. he did me a solid. Yeah, um, he did. So now what happened was um, I found out that I was going to go see Joe Orlando for a portfolio review so he could write me a recommendation. My mother met his wife in the supermarket and asked if he would look at my artwork uh, sometime. 
So uh, I went up there terrified. I just had sketchbooks full of drawings, you know, okay. random, a Spider-Man, and all, of course, no DC Comics characters, all, all right. Marvel, and he's the vice president of DC. So he's looking at my stuff. We're sitting there just down in, in uh, his study, and he's not saying anything. It's scaring me because he's just, but he's smiling. Okay. And I'm like, all right. And he's like, he looks over and he sees I'm nervous, and he kind of goes, oh, no, no, don't worry. It's, it's very good. You're, you're good. We're going to work something out. I'll, I'll uh, write you a recommendation. I'm very happy to see this. He's like, uh, and then he told me this horrible thing about, like, he said, let me tell you, the last guy who was sitting where you are right now, uh, let me tell you the story. He came there. He sat there. I said, how did you get here? And he said, what do you mean? He's like, physically, how did you get here? He said, I drove. He's like, oh, you have your own car? I said, yeah. I said, you pump your own gas. He said, yeah. He's like, you ever think about doing that for a living? his critique of the, the gentleman's artwork wow. so uh, so if Joe liked your work uh, you know he really liked it he, he, didn't pull he was any not punches. pulling any punches no so, um, I'm not that way I can't if someone shows me uh, their artwork I'm trying to find whatever positive I can about okay it, you know so well, you're uh, a nice guy I'm, well I'm not I'm not belittling what at all what Joe's technique right uh, it's just not my way. Exactly. But when you find somebody like that and they do like your work, it's a, a real boost. Right. So, uh, but yeah, he he was uh, my mentor early on. He said, "Come take my class when you're at the school." I couldn't take it till the second year anyway. Okay. But then he did one thing to me though. I think this is what we were talking about. Too, <laughs> I think so too. He showed me. He's like, "Let me show you this guy's work." Um, I he was the editor for this. Uh, he edited Bernie Wrightson on Swamp Thing at the beginning of it. Okay. He's the guy who kind of put Swamp Thing together with Len yep. Wein and Bernie Wrightson. Uh, so he shows me the Bernie Wrightson Frankenstein um, oh. edition, and I'd never seen it before, and I was just stunned. You know, just looking at this, like my mouth just hanging open, and, uh, <laughs> and this is like right at the end of high school. Like so, like I'm 18. I'm preparing for a summer before I go to art school. Right. And uh, I spent the entire summer trying to draw like Bernie Wrightson without having anything for reference. Just like that memory of <laughs> all these puffy shirts and things. So I was like, huge sleeves. Everybody I drew back then had these big <laughs> puffy shirts. Like they were a Seinfeld episode. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So I mean, and it didn't destroy me, but right. it, it did take some time away from where I was going with my own art. Right. Um, and uh, made me realize, okay, I'm, I'm not right. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's a great uh, segue to another story is the fact yeah. that, again, you started working at DC. And then mm -hmm. the wonderful thing about what you've told me about your career is you've had some wonderful mentors. Yes. Over, like you've had an opportunity to to work with some people. And, and Jose uh, Luis Garcia Lopez, yep. let's talk about that because, again, uh, you sure. have some good stories about that. Oh, yeah. So um, let's. I'll go in order, though, because I. I uh, okay. I, I went to college. Right. I graduated college. I talked to Joe, and Joe said, come up, we're going to get you some work. And I went up, and we did some work. So uh, this thing called Ford Fairlane, Andrew Dice Clay was yes. a movie. We did a prequel comic to it. <laughs> yeah, I, I was just doing designs for the characters. <laughs> and I then, forgot all uh, about yeah, the so, fact that you So they, they ended up using my designs as, like, uh, a guide for the artists. Okay. And uh, then the artist in the middle, Jose Delbo, left in the middle of it and I ended up having to come in to do some um, penciling so but I wasn't really ready to do that uh, and we had a ridiculously tight deadline so Joe Orlando got Carmine Infantino to do the layouts and I would go over by Carmine pick up the pages and do the pencils over his rough layouts okay so and Carmine 
I was terrified because I'd heard he's a t- tough reputation as a tough guy. Right. And Carmine was a sweetheart. He was the nicest oh. guy in the world. And, and I really, I learned a lot from working with Carmine right then. <laughs> then Don Heck and Frank Springer were the okay. They tag teamed uh, whatever, like one would jump on one page, one would jump on the next page. Every time I'd finish one, I'd bring them up to the offices, they'd ship them out. Okay. And But then, yeah, right after that, I did a Justice League issue with uh, Keith Giffen and Mark DeMattis and uh, that was a great experience too and then the biggest thing was Batman uh, yes Batman then Jose Luis Garcia Lopez yes was the inker on Batman right and Denny O'Neill right uh, Denny O'Neill wrote it by the way for everybody out there it's called yeah. Venom it's not the Venom you think of but it's really right. really good that is the book that first got me to fall in love with Russ Braun's work. Because, like, seriously, it's a it's a great, great, great story. Well, it was a great learning experience. You know? right. and, and, and it's like a real classic kind of old-style story, like a pulp almost. Yes. You know? I mean, there's a scene in it where Batman is fighting a shark with his shirt off. You know? <laughs> yes. But yet, yet, it's considered a pretty serious story. It you is. Because it's-, it's drug addiction and, you know, Batman's addicted to steroids and uh, controlled by the guys who feed him the steroids right and uh, he has to go into the back cave and to detox and it's but it's a very human story too because <laughs> yeah. like it all stems from the fact that he wasn't strong enough to save a, a small I think it's a small girl yeah, yeah. At, at the beginning of the story and so like he starts beating himself up about that and how yeah. can he be stronger and more and better at his job it, it's it's actually a very relatable story sure. even though it's Batman and so you got to work with with them on yeah. that, and, and Jose would I would go up to the offices with the pages, mm-hmm. and Jose would show me what he was what he fixed on some pages or what he was going to change. Okay, and he would go over the pages with me, and, and he was very apologetic, as if it's like I'm sorry, I want to do this, and I'm like, no, 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 you're showing me how to do it right. Right, little things that that I've that have stuck with me since I started that I still do today, like changing the textures, the way you do textures, even just with a pencil. Showing, okay, it's like. He's like, a rock should not have the same texture as a tree. That's true. And he said it very gently. He didn't say it, like, mean. Yeah. But it was just kind of like, oh, that's that's a matter-of-fact thing to know, you know? <laughs> but And plus, I didn't mention, I, I, I did my pencils over uh, Rough Layouts by Trevor Von Eden. Okay. Because uh, I had asked if, if uh, Carmine could do it, but he wasn't available. All right. I had tried to do it myself, and my storytelling was not to par. Okay. I decided that, not the editor. He said, ah, it'll be inked, it'll be fine, but... I just wasn't happy with the way it turned out. I did like 14 pages and I just ate them. I was like, I'm keeping this and we're going to start again. Do you, you know? still have them? Um, somewhere. Somewhere. I don't know if I would. Each page probably has one drawing on it that I really like. Okay. But none of them flow, oh. you know? Um, and I didn't. I was drawing straight on the page, not using the light box yet, not using any kind of tools that will help you tell the story. I was just kind of going straight out and everything was in the wrong spot or too big or too small. Okay. You know what I mean? So, yeah, no, I... All my characters always looked like they were too self-aware of the panel borders. You know, ah. the panel board is cutting me across the shoulder, and I'm like, "Why is it in my across my shoulder?" You know, <laughs> so uh, I hadn't really earned my acting wings yet. Okay, but uh, but so Jose would keep uh, showing me. I, it had to be four or five times an issue, really. Maybe maybe not quite that much, but I'd go up to the offices. He'd be up there. He'd be smoking his little. Uh, black cigarettes these mm-hmm. little cigarillo type things I was unfortunately a smoker at the time too so we would actually sometimes stand outside and, and talk about things too but in the one office the editor had you can smoke in there he had an ashtray wow. so we would talk over cigarettes our pages smelled like smoke um, lots of inkers have told me that over the years like oh I know when it's your pages coming in the FedEx box because it smells like smoke <laughs> but uh, 
But Jose was so generous with his time right. and his expertise. And so whenever I can pass that stuff on, I do too. Well, that's, I think that was what I was about to say. It seems like the, you had a really great experience with some mentors through your professional career. And it's, it's really great to hear that you're taking that same time with young, uh, younger artists or well, new sure. up and coming artists to, uh, to show them what you've learned. Because yeah. I think that's, that's, I think that's what life's all about, honestly. It's like so if you too. have something that you can pass along to somebody else, you're better for it if you can do that. Well, I think that's the thing we all have in common, whether we're artists or, or readers or podcasters, whatever you have. It's the love and the passion for the for the art form, for comics in general. You know, so you don't have to love the art form. You know, but I mean, like we love comics. So if you can do something positive for the comics community, why aren't you doing that? Yes. You know? No, I. I mean, because, I mean, especially when. All I have to do is be nice to somebody when they come up here to the table. Right. You know? If they have uh, artwork, if they're an artist and they show me artwork, I'm going to take the time. I mean, five minutes. You yeah. Know, to look over what they have and you know, and not try not to just give them the standard. Oh, will you want to work on your anatomy? Yeah. I mean, everyone has to work on their anatomy. <laughs> if you're trying to draw realistically, it's something you should know. But there's a lot of other stuff. There's my favorite one is the, about establishing the scene. Yes. No, that's a Joe Orlandoism, which is like Joe would say to me, "Once a page, I gotta see feet." Okay. And I looked at him like, "Is, is Joe like a crazy foot fetish guy, or <laughs> what's what's going on with this?" And uh, it was just his way of saying, "Reestablish to the next page." I'm like, "But we know we're here." It's like, "Yeah, we knew we were there on the last page." Oh. Reestablish that. It's not like a hard, fast rule, but at least once a page, you want to reestablish where your characters are if they're in the same location. Even more so if they've moved locations. You know? Right. So if you go from one page and there's two characters talking, and then you go to the next page and, well, yeah, they, they're now in Miami. Yes. But that, we never show, saw a panel with an airplane. Right. You know? And that, that's, a, that's a jump cut. Exactly. That, so, and that is very jarring um, for the audience. No, I, no, it, it, it seems like it's common sense, but in, in some ways, yeah. in, in some folks, you know, that, that that's something that you, until you hear it. Yeah. So it, when they show me their stuff, I don't say that. I don't say the line. I tell them about that, but I don't go, "Hey, kid, once a page, I gotta see feet." You know. <laughs> <laughs> once a page, I gotta see some toes. Don't for the you most understand? part, for the most part, I see people's stuff, and there's some incredible dynamism. If anything, I'm trying to tell them to ground themselves a little bit more. Okay. It's like nobody wants to draw backgrounds. Nobody wants to draw yes. establishing shots. They want to draw everybody jumping around. Well, and you, uh, that's you, what I did too. So You used to tell me the story about how you, before like they had like the internet and everything, like you used to go to like libraries and things, right? To, to yeah. get references for certain buildings and things because you were, you were sure. kind of a stickler for... Well, like if I need to know what a car looks like, I'm gonna sure. find out what that car looks That's like. That's one of the one of the worst things you can do is make up a car. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I get away sometimes. I can make up animals somewhat, okay? Because you know, I've drawn enough of them now. But don't make up a car, right? You know? I mean, if it's way in the background, car, yeah, fine. But especially if it's a specific car. It, it's, um, it's a story that stuck with me because later yeah. on I found out that like what Harvey Kurtzman used to be huge into that. Like yeah. when he did Two-Fisted Tales, like every single piece of military hardware yeah. had to look like what it really looked like. You yeah. had to go to a, 
an army of surplus store and see exactly sure. that that's not the type of ammo that goes in that particular pistol this type of ammo yeah. goes in that well yeah luckily working with Garth he doesn't care no he doesn't no <laughs> you do work with Garth a lot and a lot of folks uh, know about your work on the boys but I don't want to no, Everybody I'm, hears about the boys, but I'm I want to totally talk about kidding. your work on uh, Battlefields. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Working with Garth, I started working with Garth on the war stories, uh, Battlefields, and uh, that was the first thing we ever did together. He was very specific about the, de- the details of like what the planes were, what the models were, what the years were. Okay. So if you're drawing a plane from 1944 and the story takes place in 1942, someone notices that and it takes you right out of the whole story. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, it sounds like a minor thing, but it makes a difference. No, you know? it definitely He'd be like, you know, you got the right plane, but it's the wrong intake on the front. So that's the model for P40B, and we want the P40A. And I'm kind of like, oh, okay. And I'm, at first I was kind of like, oh, give me a break. That's a big deal. Then I looked at it, I'm like, oh, God. And now I know. Now right. I know the difference of all these different things. So No, um, and uh, mm. did you end up becoming more of a, a war historian yourself because of having to do the research a little, a little bit? A little bit. A little I bit. I wouldn't go that far, but uh, but I definitely uh, I recognize it now. Yeah. Okay. So uh, And it was a great experience. I mean, the stuff, <clears throat> the stories, especially the Night Witches, is uh, just a great storyline about Russian uh, bomber pilots in World War II that were just a, a squadron of women that fought the Nazis uh, from these little PO2 biplanes dropping a couple of bombs on them and trying to take off and get the hell home before they got shot out of the sky. Would you say that's your favorite work that you've done with Garth? over Because you've done so. so many things. For me, it's it's the most personal Okay. because it's such a great, like a, a, a real life story that we did our kind of fictional version of. So it's kind of touching and moving in, in that way because it's real. But it's, so it's definitely up there. And I love the boys stuff. I mean, there's, yeah. I can't take anything away from that. There are a couple of issues of the boys that are my favorite things I've ever drawn. But uh, we've done so many fun projects. Even like this one that's right in front of me here, the, the, where, the where yes. Monsters Dwell. is yes. just For just, you know, balls out fun. It's my uh, comic book cover that you've signed that's on my wall okay. because I... I absolutely love that the issue one of that with the uh, oh, what, uh, Phantom Eagle down in the in yeah, the, the one corner, corner in the circle, and then yeah. like he's shooting at pterodactyls and yeah. like this biplane. It's wonderful stuff. So if you have an opportunity, I know that a lot of folks listening to the show. So you might have heard of the boys. Check out Night Witches. That's some fantastic work. Check out Jimmy's Bastard. Check out Where Monsters Dwell. These are great, great books that him and Garth Ennis have worked on over the years. What's next for you, Russ? What are you working on uh, now? Now working on Jimmy's Little Bastards. Okay. To Jimmy's Bastards. And uh, we have two issues done. <clears throat> Last issue is being worked on, and uh, it should be out in stores pretty soon. Okay. We'll see, the schedule's not great for me. I, I've been pretty bad about this one, but uh, but it's a lot of fun. It's a crazy fun thing. We we, we killed Boris Johnson in the first issue. Oh, small spoiler alert. We killed Boris Johnson in the first issue. I wish more people knew about that and cared about that. But uh, Still. But you know what? You're, if you're behind on deadlines, it's because you're talking with me and a lot of our last comic shop fans, and we appreciate it, Russ. Sure, we appreciate your time, and we hope that sure. you have wonderful years ahead of you drawing fantastic stuff, and we're going to continue <laughs> to be fans. So thank you so much for taking some time with sure, me today. appreciate it. Good to see you again. So that was our interview with Russ Braun. Thank you so much, Russ, for taking some time to talk with us. And uh, J.A., what do you want to hear next? Well, I saw that Chad was showing off this really cool print that he got, which was basically a remake of that 1970s Marvel Here Come the Bad Guys cover. Oh, yeah! Who did that? That was uh, Mark Morales. Yeah, it was an awesome update. He kind of replaced some of the bad guys that he thought had kind of become a little less popular 
Mephisto and with like Thanos and things. But yeah, I actually got to talk with him. So let's go ahead and listen to that inter- interview. All right, we are here at Baltimore Comic Con with Mark Morales. And uh, Mark, how's the show treating you first and foremost? It's a good show. It's my favorite show in the country, probably. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it's comics, comics, and more comics. Uh, <laughs> they usually bring one or two media guests, but for the most part, it's an old-school comic convention. Yeah, no, it is nice for that, Beck. But uh, for the last Comic Shop fans, you know that what we like to do on this show is bring the talent to you, find out how they got involved with the business and like what comic books they like and everything like that. So first and foremost, a question I always ask is, do you remember your first comic book? Do you remember? I do. It's uh, Marvel Premiere number 26 with Iron Fist. Gil Kane drew it. Features a warbird and a crying kid, obviously. <laughs> uh, that's the great thing about being at a con. You get all kinds. <laughs> but no, like you, you told me you got it at a summer camp or something? Yeah, my older brother was a camp counselor. He's like about you know, 10 years older than me. So right. We went to pick him up from his job there and they stuck me in front of a stack of comic books to keep me busy till they you know got him right and i had been reading the newspaper strips before that but i had never seen a comic book i'd seen like spider-man on electric company and all that and uh was hooked ever since and oh yeah back then comics were 25 cents so for a buck you could get a lot yeah, yeah exactly do you remember any other comics that were in the stack no no like- i was just enamored with that one so i mean i guess there was some archie and stuff like that but the superhero one got right okay so that was your first comic but what was the first comic that you bought like regular on the regular like you went you had to go like okay I, this is my monthly comic well, this book is, now well, this is back in the 70s there were no comic book stores so you my went- father i was living in the suburbs of new york my father worked in the city so he would pick up like every friday like comics were 25 cents you would buy from right randomly at the newsstand on the way back home so there was no consistency to it. i mean one month i get an avengers another month of batman i never really were able to put together runs of them until later on i mean the 70s i was like you know yeah jim starlin doing warlock you had uh, avengers with you know john Byrne and george perez you had later on the x-men right yeah no just that you can i can never piece together complete runs until a little bit later on when i started going to comic book shows right so did you ultimately decide that you were going to piece together some of those collections based on some of the I origin? did, and 30,000 books later. <laughs> so what would you say is your prize part of your collection? I don't know. It's not like I collect them for, you know, I just come to read them more than anything else. Right, yeah. It's not like uh, I'm getting them graded or anything like that, just for reading purposes. Exactly. But, but I mean, you know, favorites were like, you know, the, the usual ones, like X-Men, uh, Frank Miller Daredevil, uh, Teen Titans, stuff like that. Like, I'm a mid-80s kid for that type of stuff. Okay. No, that may, that's cool. How did you move from being a, a basically a comic book fan to being a comic book artist? That's another question I always love to ask. So, like, how did you, like, make that transition? Like, what's your what's so, your story? So I went to art school, School of Visual Arts in New York City. Uh-huh. Had some teachers uh, like Harvey Kurtzman, Gene Colan, Will Eisner, and Joe Orlando, Carmine Infantino, you know, old school classic guys. Right. And uh, went in there and did took some classes with them, but I also... Uh, Study animation. Got out of school, did animation for two years, and didn't really love it. So I put together a portfolio, came to a convention, and just got hired from there. Wow! It's actually one of the most uh, like straightforward stories I've heard. Yeah, it's not really <laughs> circuitous at all. It really is kind of <laughs> figured out what I wanted to do and just sort of worked about a year to getting a portfolio good enough to, do, to get it. You know? Right. I was going to ask about some of your work you've been doing recently. Obviously, you're a great anchor. 
uh, you've had a chance to work on several uh, like super pivotal moments, whether it was uh, Sick Captain America and Civil War, whether it was you've done a relaunch of the Avengers, mm -hmm. uh, Amazing Spider-Man 900 with the uh, Sinister Seven. Yes, yeah. I've been pretty lucky to work on a lot of, I guess, pivotal stuff at Marvel. I was under contract to Marvel for 15 years, so I got to do Secret Invasion, I got to do Siege, I got to do the relaunch of Thor, the Young Avengers stuff, and a bunch of stuff that's being made into TV shows and movies right now. There you so, go. Does any cool. of it stand out as, as favorite stuff that you're more proud of? or? Well, I got to work with a lot of really good people. I think my favorite might have been Thor, the relaunch with Olivia Coipel and J. Michael Straczynski. Oh, uh, with the new costume. That was yeah, wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Because Thor was always a favorite with, you know, back from Walt Simonson days. So that was fun to work on that. And Secret Invasion was maybe my favorite because you got to work with the whole Marvel Universe. Well, as uh, somebody that does the inking, like, uh, I always ask this to inkers when they when they get the, the penciled work. Like, do you like uh, penciled work that's... Uh, you have to outline it or the, the folks that brings you stuff it's like you have to interpret it quite a lot like what I, do you prefer I, I tend to do both I uh, sort of work I usually do like a book and a half two books a month so it usually ends up where it is somebody that's really loose and then somebody's really tight so it sort of bounce back and forth yeah okay but you don't you, you don't have a particular Not preference really. one way or the other because really. I, I was always curious because somebody that comes up with a very loose style like that means you have to fill in a lot of the blanks sure it, but it's like a, a, a different thing it's like when it's uh, more detailed pencils it's like more of a technical exercise and uh, when it's loose it's a little bit more artistic but very cool both equally fun it's just one of those fascinating I've talked with uh, Wayne Foucher and I mean Wayne just simply said hey look if I have a lot of time then sometimes getting uh, stuff that's a little loose that's that's great but if I'm on deadlines that's that, that that frustrates me to no end. I gotta a lot of it's just scheduling, you know, just <laughs> making everything work in the schedule in the month. A lot of time to get the book done. So last questions I have for you is simply put, uh, one of the best uh, pictures that you have on your table is this uh, this interpretation of Bring on the Bad Guys. Uh, you you took that classic Bronze Age collection and you kind of modernized it. Like, where'd you get the idea for that? Like, where did you just like look at the cover and you're like, dude. Look, that we need to update this. Well, yeah, it was one of those deals where uh, the Fireside books, like Origins, Marvel Comics, and Son of Origins, and all that, they re they're like the original trade paperbacks, I guess, in the right. 70s. And uh, all the covers were by John Romita Sr., and all great, all painted covers. And just like thinking of an idea for a print for a convention, I looked at that one, and it's like it had Mephisto and Abomination and Red Skull characters that are sort of like out of vogue at the moment. Yeah. So I just decided to just swap them in with like Venom and uh, Thanos and uh, Kang for, you know, just to, just to modernize it somewhat. Very cool. Where can folks find your work? Like, where are you on the social medias and things like that? Twitter, I am at Mark underscore Morales 11 at Twitter and Instagram. Okay. And I have a store, an online store, markmorales.bigcartel.com. But can folks get that Here Comes the Bad Guys print on your store? They can. Oh, very nice. So make sure that you check that out. Because let me tell you, I know it's a podcast. You can't really see it, but it is gorgeous. Thank you. Sir. Thank you so much for your time today, Mark. And we hope you have a great rest of your show. You too. Well, that was short and sweet. Sort of like Chad's love of DC's New 52. <laughs> Yeah, but it was a great interview with Mark Morales, just simply because I was having a lot of fun with him. We had to stop and start that interview so much because there was this 
kid crying in the, behind. I don't know this. I don't know. This parent was walking this kid around, and every time they passed by the booth behind us, he just heard. So we were laughing, and it was it was fun. So, yeah, we do have to take a commercial break, though, but we're going to have some other interviews right after this commercial break. J.A., what do you want to hear after the commercial break? Well, I saw that you met up with some of the creators that did books that we reviewed in the past year, sort of uh, – for example, Gene Lun Yang, we did Superman Smashes the Clan. And I think you meant Ryan Dunleavy and Fred Van Lenty, who did the comic book history of animation. So I would love to hear those interviews. Yeah, absolutely. So right after these commercial breaks, we're going to have our interview with Gene Lun Yang and then our interview with Ryan Dunleavy and Fred Van Lenty that we did again. Thanks so much to Baltimore Comic Con for giving us this opportunity to do all these great interviews. We'll be right back. It was supposed to be a day at the beach. But for four friends, one wrong road will put them on a direct course to being the main course. Her name is Grandma Hazel, a chainsaw-wielding psychopathic cannibal, a beast of the backwoods with a body count higher than a bowl of blood-spattered scotch mints. From the creators of Pocus Hocus, Grandma Chainsaw. Evil as a perm. What if you could live with your favorite fictional characters and have a place to connect with the best nerdy neighbors and creators out there? Join us on your friendly neighborhood comic show. Every week, we keep hope, give help, and share comics with all. With games, interviews, and more, this isn't your average talk show. It's a living neighborhood. We are honored to be your CBC comic book community award-nominated nerdy neighborhood. So what are you waiting for? Come join the fun and join the neighborhood. It's your friendly neighborhood comic show every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern on YouTube. Hazel always knew there was something special about her cat Mooney, but she's still shocked when Mooney opens his mouth to tell her he's just had a vision. An ancient evil has awoken after centuries of sleep, and only one man can stop it the legendary warrior, Beowulf. Unfortunately, it's been over a thousand years since he slayed a dragon, and he's been reincarnated as this guy. His name is Victor, and he's more unemployed millennial slacker than mighty warrior. Go to monarchpublishing.net for a free sample comic. This is Andy Larson from The Last Comic Shop, and we are here at Baltimore Comic Con, and we have the tremendous honor to be talking with Gene Lun Yang. And you might have uh, recognized that name because we covered Superman Smashes the Clown on a previous episode of the podcast. Gene, how are you doing this uh, at the show this so far? Good, good. This is my very first time at Baltimore Comic Con, and it's pretty awesome. Very cool. Uh, so I'm from the West Coast. I live in the San Francisco Bay Area. I usually go to like WonderCon and San Diego Comic Con. Right. And uh, and those are awesome as well. But the thing I love the most about this one is it feels very, very comics focused. You yes. Know? Where everybody like reads comics and loves comics. Everybody you meet, like nobody's here for like video games. Everybody's here for comics. Right. Absolutely. Now, that's a, it's a similar vibe up at the New York Comic Con. I think that's because they're both on the I-95 corridor. You get like that same crowd that goes to both shows. But you're right. This is a great show if you like comic books. And that's why we're talking with you, because we love your comic books. And one of the questions we always have on The Last Comic Shop when we talk with creators is, were you a comic book fan growing up? I was a comic book fan okay. when I was a kid. So 
when I was very young, I wanted to be an animator. Okay. Because I always liked drawing and I always liked stories. Right. And animated shows, animated movies, that seemed like the way you would be able to tell stories by drawing. But then in fifth grade, my mom took me to our local bookstore and bought me a comic book off of the spinner rack. Okay. It was DC Comics Presents number 57. All right. Starring Superman and the Atomic Knights. Oh. You remember the Atomic Knights? You remember I, the Atomic I, Knights? I, I sort of vaguely remember i just like the fact that like that dc presents like one of my favorite issues from that is the from eternia with death superman and he-man like that's oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so yeah. like it was great how they just like ah, they got superman but we'll put these other people in so yeah. atomic knights atomic knights wow atomic knights very yeah. cool well, it's one of those things where we always love to uh, ask that question because you always see that twinkle in people's eyes when yeah, they start remembering yeah. so after atomic knights what do you think was like the first series that you really got into? You're like, look, I'm, I'm going to buy this every month or whatever, you know, like what was, what was one of your first books? So, so pretty quickly after that, I became a Marvel fan. Okay. You know, even though my very first book was DC, right. I, I dove pretty heavily into Marvel. I really liked Fantastic Four. This was the era when She-Hulk was yeah. in the Fantastic Four. Right. And then, and then I, of course, loved Spider-Man. So this was like black suit Spider-Man. Yes. It was, it was that time. And then when I got into high school, and especially after my comic book geek friend got his license, we would go every, it used to be every Friday. Okay. Right? It used to be every Friday, not every Wednesday. And I love the Hulk. I, I, I think the, the longest run I have in my, at home in my long box okay. is Peter David's Hulk. Yeah, I have, a, I have a huge. He was my favorite. Yeah, yeah. You know? No, you've got you've got uh, some kinship with uh, Chad Smith, Peter David Hulk. I don't know. Uh, how did you feel whenever the personalities were were fighting and then merged into Smart Hulk? Yeah, yeah. That was like was that three seventy seven? Yeah, I remember, yeah. It was three seventy seven that 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 happened, right? Yeah, with that the fancy so cover. that yeah with the fancy cover that was. Probably my favorite. That oh, that storyline, awesome. uh, yeah, yeah, was probably too. my favorite. Right, right up until they got into the Pantheon, and that was yeah. fun. Yeah, and yeah, Pantheon then, was fun. And then the Bachelor Party issue. Do you remember the Bachelor Party issue? I don't know issue? if I remember the Bachelor Party issue. Oh, you need to check out the Bachelor yeah. Party issue. I think it's 418? Okay. It's, Did, was that Dale Keown or after? It was. After? It was right, it was 418 was right before Rick and Marla got married. It was Dale Keown. Oh, okay. I must have that. Yeah. I must have that somewhere at it's home. I just stuff. don't remember it. It's got a great uh, image of like Captain America looking at a stag video like through, oh. his, through, his, through his fingertips. <laughs> and believe it or not, I tell everybody that that's one of the few post, I, I guess after they lost the license to Rom the Space Knight, Rom shows up in that issue oh. as his normal human self. Like, because they couldn't show him as the Space Knight because, you know, Parker Brothers had taken back the license. But, yeah, yeah he shows up because evidently... They were pals with Rick Jones? Question mark? Yeah, Rick, Rick Jones was in ROM. Yeah, why not? <laughs> but anyway, I want to transition to your career a little bit because you uh, hopped on my writer with American Born Chinese, which was just super well received. And you've since parlayed that into a number of uh, just wonderful books. We've already talked about Superman Smashes the Clan, The Monkey Prince. Uh, is on fire right now. The new Superman you mentioned is popping up in other Superman titles. So how does it feel to be uh, such an in-demand comic creator? Like, what's the reception it, been it's for been, you? It's been uh, really surreal. It's been really surreal. Like, when I was a kid reading comics, you know, mostly Marvel, but I did read some DC as well. You know, I would dream about working for those companies, and now to actually get to do it, to actually play in those universes, has been just wild. Oh, yeah. To, to go back to Superman Smashes the Clan, you went back to the radio serials. And right. what inspired you to pick that as a story to go back to 
I, uh, I first heard about that from the book Freakonomics. Okay. So Freakonomics is like this national bestseller, it's an economist and a reporter looking at different parts of human society through the lens of economics. They devote an entire uh, chapter to the clan of the Friar Cross storyline from the 1940s Superman radio show. And the point of that chapter is that when Superman fought the clan on the radio show, the membership of the actual clan declined, like significantly. Right, they made them look so foolish in the story. That's right, that's right. So, I mean, as a geek, as like a comic book geek, that kind of just goes to show when you, we're looking at stories about people wearing red capes flying around in the sky, it seems silly on one surface, but deep down it actually has real world consequences, right? It's about real things. One of the other questions I had about that book was like, I, I love the characterization of Superman in that book. And so I, there were some, some things that you did with his characterization that just, I, I mean, it just endeared me to it. But like at first, you know, the fact that he doesn't fly initially. And the reason why he doesn't fly is because he doesn't want to seem like an alien. Like he doesn't want to embrace his alien roots. And like, you know, and, and at the end when he finally comes down and, and, and Lois is standing there and he's like, oh yeah, now I know. <laughs> She's the one for me because she's the one standing and cheering me on. It just, it not only tapped into that whole notion that Superman didn't originally fly. Like, when he was originally, he just jumped really high. And it wasn't until, like, the either it was the radio show or the Flesher cartoons that they developed flying as an attribute of his. So, like, I just, but how did that come about? Like, how, why did you want to tell that story, too, as, like, side by side with the stories that were going on from the, the radio show? Yeah, well, so I, I did a short run uh, on Superman, a 10-issue run on the main Superman title. And when I was doing that, I started reading these old, old Superman stories, you know. I'd only read, like, Superman comics from the 80s and 90s up until that point. And in those old stories, there's just lots of really fascinating dynamics. Like, for instance, he doesn't fly. He runs across telephone wires. And he's also, like, kind of a bully of bullies. They do all these, like, social issues in, right. in those early comics. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Like, he, 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 he won't hesitate to throw people off of rooftops. Yeah, that's and right. Like, or leave them on, like, deserted islands. Exactly. You know, like, it's so, it's so weird. It's like a weird, like, given what Superman is like now, those old comics are just, there's an edge to them. Right. And it was kind of wish fulfillment for kids at the time because they were like, here's this, you know, adult that doesn't take guff from other adults and will like stand up and you know do these kind of things that we wish we could do uh -huh. and so like it, it's it's an interesting thing that you, you did go back and do that research and uh reconnected with his 40s roots when That's you were right. writing the story so yeah yeah and, and i think um i think especially specifically with the with the clan of the friar cross storyline it shows how important he is as like almost like a national figure right like a like i think superman in a lot of ways is what we as Americans hope for. Like he always kind of embodies our hopes. So that's kind of what I wanted to lean into. Right, and one of the things as a reader that I, I pick up from your tool bag is you are very good at figuring out what is important and bringing that stuff to light. Whether it is, you know, American-born Chinese and just exposing some of the, those cultural issues that kids have to deal with on a daily basis. I, I'm an educator, so I'm in middle schools and I'll watch kids with that book all the time. And it's just... <laughs> You know, the, the connections they can make, it's just incredible. But uh, I'm curious, and what do you have uh, planned next, I guess? Any big projects that you're going to dive into, whether it's pulling out things like Superman and the Fiery Cross, or whether it's more personal things like the American-born Chinese? Yeah, I have a few projects that I'm working on right now. So first, uh, I'm running Shang-Chi for Marvel. Right. 
we are putting him into a uh, a big kung fu tournament because you have to because he's Shang Chi. And then for DC, I'm working on Monkey Prince, a, a monthly series. So he is a brand new DC character, but he's based on this old Chinese legend, the legend of the Monkey King. And he's going to play a big role in Lazarus Planet, which is a, a big event in 2023, headed right. by uh, Mark Wade. I wanted to ask you, how do you feel about Mark Wade playing with uh, your character? I I am a huge Mark Wade fan. So to to ha- first of all, to have him write a character that Bernard Chang and I created is a ton of fun. And just to see how he works is amazing. You know, he's he's a, he's one of my favorites. Right? Has he talked to you at all? Like, have you guys been collaborating? Yeah, yeah, we've been talking on the phone and stuff. It's it's weird to talk to Mark Wade on the phone. It's like, yeah, that's surreal as well. That's surreal as well. And then I'm also doing a series uh, based on the Clash of Clans video game and Clash Royale. So the the thought there is. Uh, my kids really love video games. You know, I have four kids, and we really want to build a bridge between uh, these things that they play and reading. Right. You know, we want to draw them into reading by using video game characters. And you, you do a fantastic job. I know we've said it a bunch, but just connecting to the youth and finding stories, whether it's Dragon Hoops, which was a shocker for me. I didn't expect that coming out of you. Uh, but you really do a great job connecting with kids and getting them excited about reading these stories. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, Dragon Hoops was kind of a shocker for me too. I, I did not like basketball when I was a kid. So to spend, for me to spend five years of my life working on a book about basketball, I was not expecting that. Well, we hope wonderful things from uh, Gene Lun Yang in future, and we hope that you'll come back to the last comic shop some other time and yeah, talk comic book with us. I would so, love to. Yeah, thank you, Andy. Thank you, Chad. Thank you. Hi, this is Chad from the Last Comic Shop Podcast here with Fred Van Lenty and Ryan Dunlevy, uh, who are the best. Do you guys remember that time you did the comic book history of comics? That was awesome. Yeah, yeah. So, well, let's start with the comic book history of comic books, because this is a comic book podcast. What inspired you guys to cast Jack Kirby as a main character and carry him throughout uh, all the varying issues? Well, I had attempted to do a Kirby biography a few years before Brian and I set out in the comic book doing this as a comic doing it, and also expanding the subject beyond Jack Kirby. But I had basically had all the research, like a, this giant pile of research, so I had already done it. And also, frankly, Kirby's like the zealot of comics. He was involved in, you know, the early shops, the early comics. He and Joe Simon worked on freaking Wiz Comics number two. Yeah, I did not know the Green Arrow or yeah, the, the Shazam Arrow, stuff. He did, he did newspaper strips. He was one of the first people to ever do independent comics that were direct market titles. Oh, and he created most of and a significant portion of the Marvel and DC universes, yeah. respectively. So, uh, yeah. And, so, even, and even free comics, he was involved with, like, you know, the Fleischer Studios and things like that. So. He was involved. He, he, you know, the treatment of him was sort of what inspired the, the queer rights movements right. in the 80s. So he just sort of was a natural through line. There you and go. Also, and Fred's really lazy. So, you know, he had a lot of the work done already. Nice. It's like, just make Ryan draw it. It'll work. Some of it ended up in a musical, No I lies think. detected. Very cool. Now, Ryan, as an artist, what was it like having to deal with the entire history of comics and having to translate that into your own style and then putting it onto the page um, in a cohesive well, manner? Like an idiot, I decided like early on to try to draw every segment in the style of whatever it was, and that lasted till about page two, and I just said, realized it was not going to happen. You made, um, like, page eight, I think. Yeah, something Six. like that. Well, it, it didn't even look, even then it was, like, weak, and I was just like, no, don't even try, just go for it. And, uh, I don't know, I think it came out better. Yeah, no, you have, you definitely have a distinct artistic voice. I noticed you on, uh, 
I want to say wizard posters yes, back in the... a lot of wizard work. And, um, concurrent, or before this, I think before Comic Book History of Comics. Okay. Or about the same time. It was about the same time. Very that cool. That was why I wanted to do it in the same style. Because one of the things I was doing for Wizard were these parody comics, uh, Sunday comics of, like, Bloom County and Peanuts, but done in their style, but with, like, X-Men characters and stuff. Right. And, and Fred, I know I, I found you working on uh, The Incredible Hulk and Incredible Hercules with Greg uh, Pack. And that was wonderful. Uh, do you have any more plans to work with Her- Hercules or Amadeus Cho or anything in the future? Or? I don't, but Greg Pock and I are currently working on a new miniseries for a different publisher, but with a character owned by the same company. So go and figure out how that works. Hmm. I have no idea what he's talking about, honestly. That's that's the thing we're doing, which is a lot of fun. Interesting. Well, since I have you both, I should talk about the things you both worked on. And my first big exposure was Action Philosophers. Which I have a philosophy minor, which is totally useless. We got you here. That's right. <laughs> but it's one of the reasons why I love that book so much. How were you able to find so many creative hooks and to simplify the philosophy into such an understandable comic book page? What was that like? What were some of the challenges you encountered there? Chad, it's because we're really good at this. That's the primary. <laughs> that's, the, that's the primary reason. Well. It has a lot to do with the comics medium, and because I think the philosophers are so abstract, it actually it makes you kind of you have to kind of go out and find it. Like you have to do, you have to find some sort of like clothes hanger to hang the right. hang the visuals on. So you just kind of have to bust your ass and do it. Yeah, you know? if no one's complimented, like it's next level stuff to take all that information and simplify it, and then Ryan to present it visually. In a way that's not only like, here's all this information. Fred writes so many words. Yeah, so many words. But you guys made it so fun and so accessible. Uh, That was really awesome. So I'm just going to Chris Farley again. Let's talk about the comic book history of animation for a minute, because that's a book we covered on our podcast. Awesome. I followed the Kickstarter, uh, loved all the notes and all the, here are the cartoons you need to watch. Great. Uh, Still live on kickstarter.com. So what inspired you guys to go into animation after uh, philosophy and comic books? Why was I, that the next step? I pretty much bullied Fred into it. Because like every other nonfiction comic we've done, it was kind of his idea and it kind of drove the bus. And this one I was like, we should just do, well, why did we do animation? It was because was it because people were asking for more comic stuff and they were like, we don't want to do that again? Or <laughs> well, a lot of it was just like, it was, seemed like an obvious sequel to the comic book series which you know yeah. blunt was our easily our, our most successful series so we're like let's do more of that <laughs> uh, and there was already a lot of animation material in the comic book and then ryan beat me until i agreed yeah, to do much. it but where you can't see yeah <laughs> animation is really my first love and i actually thought i was going to go into that field oh wow one time. i studied in college in addition to illustration um, but it just didn't work out and i ended up in comics so he hits me where i'm soft like a woman <laughs> <laughs> anyway uh, all right, so lightning round. I'm curious, since you guys have done uh, comic books, you've done philosophy, you've done animation, who is your favorite comic book? Well, sorry, favorite comic book creators? Who's right, inspired? Jack Kirby. I mean, Ryan Nutley. <laughs> well, I, you know, I grew up in the mid-'80s, so I was really inspired by the, you know, the Alan Moore and Grant Morris and those guys. And I loved, probably uh, my first love was Steve Gerber, who did Howard the okay. Duck and the original Guardians of the Galaxy series and Man-Thing and everything else. Um, I didn't. I came into comics when I was like a teenager, and really the first one, the first artist that really spoke to me was Bill Sienkiewicz. Okay. The first time his New Mutants comics it was like the first time I realized, like, oh my God, some uh, human being drew this and thought of something crazy, and it's yeah. so me weird. A story like nobody else is. Yeah, it's so weird, so awesome. All right, favorite philosopher. Which one speaks to you the most? Probably most like the Zen Buddhist and stuff. So, 
sort of Lao Tzu, I guess, by way of Bodhidharma. Nice. A lot of later thinkers that didn't end up in the... I'm a later thinker myself. Ryan? Sartre. I, everything sucks. <laughs> there you go. You just thrust into existence. Yeah. All right, and animation. What's what's some of your favorite uh, animated movies or... I mean, I still go back. I, I remember seeing it in, the, in a theater in, like, 1990. I really love Nausicaa, Valley of the Wind. It's probably my all-time favorite okay. animated movie, anime. Um, yeah, well, in the same, like, I would say Spirited Away is just kind of, like, the perfect movie for me, animated or otherwise. But also... Always go back to classic Chuck Jones, Looney Tunes stuff all the, the time. The theme park they built. Much like what happens after I read your books, I have things I need to Google now. I was unfamiliar with this theme park. It's part of the whole Ghibli park they have out there outside Tokyo, near where the studio is. Oh, that's awesome. Have you been? I wish. We were planning on going, and then the pandemic hit, and then, yep. then it was like, wow, <laughs> in March 2020, rates to Japan were really cheap flights, but then, <laughs> then they locked the country down. So there you go. It's a thing. All right, gents, thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much for the great books that not only are fun and interesting, but they're they're educational and they're the best of comic books. I, I can't tell you guys how much I appreciate your work. All right, well, that's all the time we have for Last Comic Shop this week. Hope you enjoyed all of our great interviews. And thank you so much again to the Baltimore Comic Con for giving us the opportunity to talk to all of these wonderful creators and bring those interviews to our fans. If you want to make sure that you check out other shows that we might have done uh, with comic book creators or just comic books we like to talk about, make sure that you get out to our website, www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. It's a terrific place where you can rate and review and subscribe at the podcasting platform of your choice to get, again, future episodes such as this one. And while we might be the Last Comic Shop podcast... For all your podcasting needs, we don't actually want to be the last comic shop. There's too many books to recommend this week, so I'm just going to say get out there to a shop near you. Get out to those conventions. Have a great time. Thanks again, Baltimore Comic Con. It was awesome stuff. And when you're at the convention and you need something to carry all your comic books around in, why don't you check out our merch store? You can rock some last comic shop merch, like a great t-shirt or a tote bag. Perfect for carrying around that deep find you found in the box back in the corner the guy that didn't look like he'd have anything but actually had all the great stuff you know what i'm talking about there's always that one guy at the show he's got the worst location but the best stuff go to dave dave knows what he's talking about And also, if you want to hear some other things that we're talking about, make sure that you follow us on uh, social media at Last Comic Shop on Twitter and on Instagram. Until next week, I was the host most, Andy Larson. I was joined by Chad Smith and J.A. Scott. And we hope that you stay safe, stay conning, and remember, you never should touch the cosplayers. Just don't. Do not touch cosplayers. I don't like to be touched, even though I may look like a sexy bee. I do not want to be touched. Thank you very much. Yikes. Cosplay is not consent. Wear deodorant out there, kids. See you later.
the last comic shop was a 2022 Black Angus production.